Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Last week, we, we were in our code, We Make War, and as we spoke about We Make War, we spoke on Let's Battle Together, and our lives are not meant to be alone, but warfare um, is with each other, battling together, back to back, side to side, praying for one another, fasting in moments that need to uh, fast. I mean, um, these are so important, uh, such important moments within the church. I remember when I was sick. And I was going through everything that I was going through with my surgery. It was beautiful to see the church come alongside and, and the text messages I got, the visitations um, that I received, the, the phone calls of people praying for me. That's what making war together is so important. It's so important. And I didn't want to just end it there as the Lord was continuing to stir about warfare. I wanted to rem- uh, move away from the code but kind of continue to speak about war and warfare. And today's message, if you're taking notes, write this down. You should be taking notes in the house of God as the message is going to be preached. But write this down, and it's this. It's called World War Ends. That's today's message. I know it sounds kind of warish, right? It sounds kind of intense, right? You're thinking battles, and you're thinking of maybe Air Force and bombs going off. And, but that's not where I'm going with this message. Where I'm going with this message, it's... That the world, the, the wars in the world, if you say it fast, it, it's a tongue twister. They come to an end immediately. They, they come to, em- to an end immediately at some point, and we see that in Scripture. There's promises in Scripture that there will be no more war. That all of this ends. And you say, well, why is there war? Why are there battles? Why are there shortcomings? Why are there struggles? Why do we war? Why is there a warfare? Well, it's because there's this one thing that I want you to see in Scripture today, and it's this. Because evil exists. Evil is real. If we're going to worship God and believe in the goodness of God, we need to believe in the whole Word of God. And the Word of God also tells us that there is evil. There are, there are fallen angels and there are demons and Paul talks about powers and principalities in this world and we can't ignore like evil does not exist in this world. But you and I, if you are in Christ, you belong to the army of God. You are now a child of God. But I want you to know that as you become a child of God, you went from an enemy of God to now a child of God, a slave of of Christ, when you become that, you are enlisted into a warfare. There's a bullseye on you years ago. I don't know if you remember, and it led to our, um, into our uh, Easter service. I spoke about a threat, and I put a bullseye on someone's back as they were walking up here. Was it you, Omar? Did I put the bullseye on? I thought it was you. And I said, we become the threat because immediately now there's an enemy that's out to destroy us, to destroy our testimony. To destroy the gospel that we stand on. To destroy the families that we're trying to build in the word of God. And 
in the, with the presence of God. And the enemy wants to come to destroy that so that the outsiders could say, oh, there's another Christian. There's another believer. There's another man. There's another woman that has fallen short. The, the enemy wants the world to think that he's winning. But Scripture tells us clearly that the future tells us that he's already lost. Yes, right. You don't have to go too far to know that there's a warfare it's all over. If you turn on your television, you see evil blatant right in front of you from the cartoon. We've spoken about this here on Sundays. From the messages that they're trying to brainwash our children with, with the cartoons. You could go to Target. I think they took it off the shelf where they were putting satanic, satanic symbols on shirts and selling them in Target so that you could buy them and that your children could walk through the stores and see Satan and say, Satan loves you. And, and I'm not even going to give credit to what the things that the shirt was saying, but there's evil all around us. There's a warfare. Last week I said, so the enemy wants to come and stop you from what? From worshiping. The enemy wants to come and do what? Stop you from praying. The enemy wants to come and do what? Distract you from getting into the word. Because if he removes the weapons from you, then what are you going to fight in this war? And I challenged you when I said, when was the last time that you truly just prayed before God? When you worshiped before God? When you truly just read and studied the word of God for yourself? Where it wasn't a devotional, where it wasn't a quick pick-me-up-out-of-bed, two-minute prayer, but you were reverent before the presence of God. Or has the enemy distracted you and taken away some of those weapons that God's given you to fight in this warfare in? I want you to know that today, if there's anything that you should know, it's that we are in a war. But something that we say here, don't ever get confused that though we are in a war, we're still living in the good new days. Because we have victory. We have the promises of God. We could quote all the scriptures. They're yes and amen. They're new every morning. The Lord does not lie in his scripture. But he does warn that there is warfare. I was thinking about, for you guys that were Christians in the 90s, you might know this name, Ron Canoli. Remember him? Ron Canoli sang a great song, and um, I, I, I don't know, I, I'll say, I don't want to sing it, but I always end up singing it. But, <laughs> but I want to read you some of these lyrics. The, the song is actually titled, Making War in the Heavenlies. You remember singing that back in the days, 90s? The, the, the chorus went something like this. Okay, I'll sing it. But if you know it's singing with me because my singing is off, it says a little something like, making war in the heavenlies. You've ever sang the song? Tearing down principalities. Remember that? Standing firm in Jesus' victory. I know I'm off tune. And then it goes, making war in the heavenlies, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to these lyrics. Ron Canoli in his song writes this, Father, your word says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers of this dark age. He is quoting in this song what Paul says in Ephesians 6, which we'll get to. But you have designed and ordained armor and weapons for us to come against the wickedness in high places. Right now we put on the helmet of salvation. We lift up the shield of faith. We clothe ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. And we pick up the sword of truth 
And in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, we declare war in the heavenlies. And then he goes on to making war in the heavenlies. All right. We do not bow our knee to the prince of this air, for we know the truth has set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And under our feet he will shortly be crushed, and having done all, will stand in victory. Our hearts are set apart for the courts of the Lord, and we will not be bought or sold. By his Spirit in us, we will overcome, pulling down every stronghold. And then he goes on to making war in the heavenlies, tearing down principalities, standing firm in Jesus' victory, making war in the heavenlies, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's a powerful song. It's a powerful song and it's a reminder of Ephesians 6 and of the war that each one of us in accepting Christ have enlisted ourselves into. And it's a war that we'll read that it's not flesh and blood fought war. It's not a war that is fought like the wars on earth. Vanessa said it very eloquently in worship. It's a war that could be fought on your knees in prayer. It's a war that is fought in worship. It's a war that is fought by knowing the truth. As scripture says that this is the truth that sets us free from the bondage of being tormented by spiritual warfare. Amen? Amen. When you think about war, there are many positives and yet many negatives to war. War is extremely expensive. Some of you have experienced war in your families. Have you not? It was extremely expensive, wasn't it? It came at a cost. Warfare is serious. I've seen people die because of spiritual warfare. I've seen people give in because of spiritual warfare. I've seen people never walk in the Lord again because they've surrendered to darkness. They've surrendered because they couldn't anymore. The battle was too much. And there's a lot that plays into that, that sentence that I just gave you. But we know that physical wars are also very expensive. <clears throat> they bankrupt nations. They bankrupt the countries that are at war at times. When you get into a war, you think, well... This war will easily solve the issue that we're fighting against. And then you start to learn that World War I was a cause for World War II. Sometimes wars don't solve. It just causes another greater war. Wars. I believe it's either 300 or close to 4, maybe even $500 billion. That's how much it costs the United States, the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. It, it really attacks the world's economy but one of the things that war does is it kills people many times it kills innocent people and that's the seriousness of war but one thing that I want you to know about war one of the negatives about war and I want us to know this as we speak of war and it's this that there is evil and in this war, we have to face the reality of evil and even evil deities. With, these, with this evil comes evil teachings. And I've known so many families that 
They've had to say, what do I do? I don't, and I, I don't know what to do with my children in schools because the schools are teaching X, Y, Z. And it's heartbreaking to see what families have to go through. Christian, godly families have to go through because they want their children to learn the things of God. But the schools are pushing agendas of what marriage should look like. Agendas of all kinds of things. From transgender to homosexuality and all across the board. And we're trying to raise our children in truth. And this is the warfare that you and I are currently in. And if you have children... Maybe they're with you right now or they're in the back room. Imagine the warfare that they're going to enter into. Mothers, fathers in homes, listen up. You are commanders. You are generals in this warfare. And you have little soldiers that are looking at you. And they want to see what you say and what you do and how you react. Because they need to also stand up to this warfare one day. Right now, our children, they don't have to worry about it. Why? Because you fight and you battle their wars. But there's going to be a moment where they now have to come against their professor and say, well, that's not what the Word of God teaches. And they have to come against their shopping list and say, well, I can't shop there anymore. And they're going to have to go to, think about this. What are they going to do? And that's what we are. We're part of a team. We're part of a family we're part of a beautiful kingdom. Amen. We see it with Gideon. We see it with Joshua. Who are you when he stands before the Lord? And he says, I am the commander of the Lord's armies. When, 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 when they appeared before man on earth, Jesus in the Old Testament, and they would see him, and they would say, well, who are you? He says, I am the commander I am him, the commander of the Lord's armies. He right there is saying, there's an army in heaven, and I command it. Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? He says, if you really, they said to him, if you really are the son of God, call the angels to come down and rescue you. Why would they say that to Jesus? Because he's the commander of the armies of God. All he had to do is say one word. And the army, the host of heaven's angels would come down and, and, and remove him from the cross. If you remember, in the Old Testament, Daniel was praying. And because of the evil that was going on and he needed to pray. And, and, he, and he prayed and he prayed. And the, the messenger angel took 21 days to get to him. And he says, hey, immediately, immediately God heard your prayer. But it took me 21 days to deliver this message because I was fighting the prince of Persia. What's going on? There's someone on earth speaking to an angel. And the angel just said, I just came from 21 days of fighting against another fallen angel. Uh, we need to understand that when you woke up this morning and you had to put up your AC because you were nice and cuddled under your sheets and you stretched and you got out of your house, you are in spiritual warfare. Your families, your children, your very own soul. We're fighting. When Paul was at the end of his life and he had to write a letter to his protege, to his student, young Timothy, he writes to him and he says what? Timothy, I have fought the good fight. Why would he call it that? 
because Paul also writes Ephesians 6, and it's war. And he says, I fought in the battle. My whole life I've been fighting, and my life may it be a drink offering now. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. On May 13th, 1940, I've probably shared this here at some point, Winston Churchill delivers one of his greatest speeches to the House of Commons in the Parliament of the United Kingdom. And his purpose was to inspire the British to keep fighting against this seemingly invincible, almost unstoppable at the time, enemy, which was Nazi Germany. And he said a lot in this speech, one of his greatest speeches ever, but I want to grab one sentence from this because we don't have time to get into all of it. And he says this. He says, you ask what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all cost. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. Those were his words to a nation. We need to fight Nazi Germany. And I want to focus on this evil. And I want to be a people. I want to be a person that fights against it. Not just make company with it. Accept it. Because that could happen so often where we just accept it. We ignore it. Many Christians think, well, it'll just go away. No, it won't. Our aim is victory, victory at all cost, in spite of terror, however long the road may be, our aim should always be victory. If you didn't hear this ever in your walk with the Lord, hear it today. You are a soldier, and your aim is victory. Soldiers, rise up. Many times, me included, myself, we could fall and ignore and fall to take action, to rise up against wickedness, against evildoers. I love what Psalm 94.16 says. Psalm 94.16 says this. It says, who will rise up for me? Kind of like when the watchman was being asked to rise up. Who will be the watchman? Who will rise up during this time, during this age? And Psalm 94 says, who will rise up for me against the wicked? And who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Is God speaking that to our hearts today? Is God speaking that deep in our spirits today? To rise up against the wicked and against that which is evil. Will you rise up evil? I want you to think about the evils and what evil and the forms that you've seen it in. Most of the times it does not show up, and you've heard us say this here, with a long tail and a pitchfork and horns on its head and a man dressed in leotards covered in red. That's all Hollywood wants you to see it as a character. As something that's, yeah, you really can't take that stuff too serious. When I see those images of Lucifer in Hollywood, it's funny, it's not scary. Those images of Lucifer are funny, they're not scary. But when you see evil in the form of murder, in the form of rape and lying and cheating and stealing, adultery, fornication, outburst of anger and wrath, 
you start to recognize, wait a minute, it really is a whole lot more serious and a whole lot more scarier. How have you seen evil in this day? How have you seen sin? You've seen sin in your life and you've seen sin in other people's lives. Just destroy your life or destroy other people's lives. Sin is evil. And the enemy wants us to sin and the powers of this world want us to sin. Sorry, today I preach on sin and I do preach also that there is darkness and there is evil in this world. But we need to know that. We need to face that. In Genesis, the serpent had one objective in mind. Adam and Eve is there in the garden. The serpent is there. And what did he want? He wanted to cause them to know sin. If they could just know sin, you know what I think? They're going to want to continue to know more sin. If they know sin, they'll want to know more sin. They'll want to go deeper into sin. And that's true. Some of us have experienced that. I have the privilege to minister to a lot of drug addicts. And when I speak to these drug addicts, I learn that it started with a simple, a simple thing. They tell me things like, I was started to drink a lot. They tell me things like, I just started smoking a little bit of weed and drinking some alcohol. But then it led to some cocaine. And now I'm addicted to heroin. heroin. Now I've lost my children. Now I've lost my family. Now I'm an addict. And what happened was sin continued to grow and get deeper in their lives until it finally took their life over. Guys, evil is real. Making war in the heavenly. But we don't have to worry about that. Because the victory of the cross, the victory of the resurrection lives in us. But we see sin, though. We see evil in many ways. We see spouses leaving homes, great men, great women. But they start to creep the door a little bit. And the enemy comes in, and I've seen great men leave their homes. I've seen great women leave their homes. Walking out on their spouses, that one day they walked down the aisle and said, Oh, I do. For death, for death. Do us part and everything, right? Through health, through sickness, through the ups and downs. Oh, they say these vows and I do. And instantly they begin to open the door. And I've seen great leaders of their homes walk out of their homes. Walk out from their children because they've opened up the door to this thing that we know is called evil. Women, men bound to things. Women bound to men who abuse physically, emotionally, verbally, and they don't know how to get out of it because they've opened up the door to evil. Men who do that, women vice versa who do that because they're just repeating the behaviors of evil done to them. They're doing it now to others and others are receiving it for themselves. Guys, this is your next door neighbor. This is some of you right here this Sunday. I hope you come back next Sunday. But this is the reality of life. There is evil in this world, amen? I mean, it's hard to say amen, but so be it. There is. All sorts of evil and addictions and habits that people struggle to break and it can't be broken. Good families, raising children right. I've seen them struggle because now their child can't shake off drugs. Or their, their child went to a different kind of lifestyle than they were taught. And they can't escape it. 
Some of these families have just said, we're just going to welcome it in. It's very serious. But I will say this before we get into some text today. All it takes is welcoming evil once. And that one welcome, like Adam and Eve, could be the end. Guard yourselves. Fight the good fight. We belong to an army. And we are part of God's great army. Amen? Listen, I don't know about you, but when he comes on that horse, I want to ride that horse with him. I want to be part of the armies of God that is found in the heavens. I want to be part of it. With all of that said, I do want you to know that there's hope today. There's hope to win, to have victory, to defeat evil. Augustine once said this, and I quote him. He says, God would never permit evil if he could not bring good out of it. There is victory, and there is something on the other side of that. That any evil that we encounter, that we would see God's goodness as we encounter it. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. And I think this is a great text to get into today because there's some very interesting things that Paul writes in this letter. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes about evil and God's anger towards evil or towards sin. And we get to see some manifestations of evil written for us in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read and I'll stop and I'll read. But I want you just to see as I build, as we build up this message today, I want you to see what is being said in scripture, in the text. I want you to, as we read this, to align it with your life. Let it be a measuring, a ruler. Let it be a mirror that could speak to you and say, where do I stand in all of this? In Romans chapter 1, I'll skip for sake of time to verse 18. And right there it says, but God shows anger from heaven against all. And look what he shows anger. Like, why would God show anger? God is a loving God. But because he is a loving God, that means that he also has to know and has to have the ability to show anger towards things that are against his love. If I love my wife and someone harms her, my love for her should then what? Should then show anger towards that which harms my beloved. Should it not be the same in our relationship with our God? And that's what we want to see here in Romans chapter 1. He is able to show anger because he has great love. And watch what he shows anger too. He shows anger from heaven against all sinful, very important sin, and wicked people. In Romans chapter 1, it gives us a description that, wait a minute, God does show anger, and he shows it towards wickedness and towards sinful people. Well, what have these sinful and wicked people, what have they done? What are they doing? Look what it is. Look what they're doing. They're suppressing the truth by their wickedness. Oh, is the truth not being suppressed today? By the wickedness of man. It sure is. It sure is. It sure is when my child needs to see something and say, hmm, it's a cartoon, it's a little kid's show, but that, that guy actually speaks a lot like a woman. 
And now I, as an adult, have to go through a conversation with my child of what they're really watching. What am I trying to say that it's infiltrated and it's, and it's coming in and it's attacking our homes and God shows anger from heaven against sinful and wicked people that suppress truth by their wickedness. It says in verse 19, they know the truth about God. There is people that are living on this earth, listen to this, that know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. He's made it known. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything that God made. They clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, and they have no excuse for not knowing God. There are people on this earth that know that there's a God. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And I love this verse because it gives us an understanding even of 2023 of what we're currently living in. Look at this. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. The problem is not that man did not know God. I hope you see that in this text. But that he knew God but yet he refused to glorify him as God. The greatest danger that any human could do is know that there's God, but refuse to glorify him as God. Scripture says man, as we stand before God, mankind is without excuse. Instead of glorifying God, man has transformed their idea of him into forms and into images that are more comfortable to their corrupt and darkened hearts. Never should we do that. I love that when we sang today, we said, you know, let there be reverence and let this not be about any kind of show, but let it truly be about who God is. And that should be true in all of our lives. Not think of foolish ideas of what he's like. Read the word. It tells you exactly what he is, who he is, and what he's like. That our minds would not be dark and confused. So we see right here in these few verses that we're reading, the problem is that that man did not know him but refused to glorify him. As God, and they have no excuse. In Romans chapter 1 verse 23, as we keep reading, it says, These men, they claim to be wise, but they become utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. You got to remember when this was written. The, the Jewish people will continue to fall to the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian images. In Romans 1.23, when you, when you see that word there for image, it's that icon it's that word icon in the Greek, and it's, it's a dangerous thing, and we need to know this, to change the glory of the incorruptible God into this icon, into an image of our own choosing. I get that this is how you guys put God, but I, chose to, I choose to put God like this. No, that's what you, you can't do that. You can't suppress his truth. You can't suppress his holiness. God is God, and nothing will ever remove him from being God. The way he is and the way he says it. Who are we to change the image of God to our own choosing? It's a very dangerous thing. And I printed this out because 
in this scripture, Paul says they've created all these images of God. They become corrupt, they become darkened. They've changed the icon into their own choosing. So I said, well, I would love to see, and here's just some, not all of them. Various types of idolatry done in scripture by the very people many times that saw the very hand of God, that they saw a pillar of fire, that they would wake up and they would see manna in the morning, that they would see a sea split and walk on dry land. Kind of like us, we see the hand of God. But here's some various idols of false God mentioned in Scripture. In Isaiah 44, it starts to speak about them. And it says, those who make an image, all of them are useless. Their precious things are no profit. They're their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they would be ashamed. And then it goes on, and here are some idols. There's an idol named Asherim, and I'm going to destroy some of these names. And Asherim is mentioned throughout Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 17. They made this idol on Asherim. Actually, the Scripture says this. They set for themselves sacred pillars and Asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. An idol. Foolish idols. There's another idol called Teraphim which was a family idol, and we see them in Judges chapter 17 and 18 in Joshua 24. She, this idol is all over Scripture. There's another one by the name of Matzibah. Matzibah is another one. It's a, a column statue. It's set up, and we see it in Jeremiah 43, in Joshua chapter 4, in 1 Samuel 7. All over Scripture, we see Chamin, or another, or another way of, of saying his name is Hamanim. More idols. All over scripture, sun gods and sun images. We see them in 2 Chronicles. Another one called Avin. An Avin means nothingness. It means vanity. And they build an idol to this vanity in Isaiah 66 and Deuteronomy 32. You guys are getting the point? 1 Kings 16. There's another one called Elel in Isaiah 19. In Psalm 97, Ema, Mithzabeth, Basheth. I'm sorry for killing the words. Killing these false idols. Who cares about their names anyways? Gileam, Shekats, Salem, Temona, Atzab, Seir, Masketh, Pesel, Maseka, Heket. All these idols all over scripture. I could give you all the scriptures and where they're mentioned in the Old Testament. Images. Idols. False gods. Adonis. Adramalek, Amum, Apis, Asherah, Asherah, whatever, Asterate, Baal, we know Baal, Baal Bereth, Baal Peror, the calf, the golden calf, Dagon, Diana, Heket, Hathor, host of heaven, the image of heavenly, Ishtar. I'll keep going. Makam, Mani, Milkam, Malik, Moon, Nebo, Nifaz. I want to be careful. Okay, Nish, Nishrak. Nuf, Rimon, Setter, Serpent, Sin, a moon god, stars, sun, Tamas. All right, I'm done with the gods. There's too many. How do you, how do you, how do you stay up to date with all these gods? The god of the sun, the god of the stars, the god of my toe, the god of my, the god of water, the god of the hill, the god of the calf, the god of the. Frog, the god of the rice that I'm going to eat. The god. 
God's for everything. And sometimes they do the foolish of sacrifices and the foolish of things. Like Baal and like Asherah, if you've studied some of them, they sacrifice their very own children to these gods. Can you imagine being around the people that are going to have an assembly? And they say, today, you, 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 come on, you sacrifice your child to our false god. And you may think they're an image. They may look like a reptile. It may look like a bird or like an owl. It may look like whatever you may think it may look like according to the Old Testament. But I want you to know behind those gods there are evil powers that are real and that are tricking and deceiving people. And we see it today. We see people still sprinkle blood and cut off chickens and do all kinds of prayers and do all kinds of things because they're worshiping a false God and we come and stand before the true and living God who is no fool. Amen. Amen. Guys, this is real. So let's read and let's see what happens in the rest of this passage. Of all these people that worship false gods, it says God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, not us. I saw, forgive me, social media sometimes could be the devil itself. But I saw someone say that our phones have become an idol. Have you seen that one? That we put it in our hands and we just scroll and we stay hypnotized. And if you look at it, it's almost praying hands as we gr grab our idol called iPhone. I know, I just thought it was a cool one. But think about all the idols in our lives that we have. The things that we've called to come in the way of God. I want you to be very careful. It says they traded the truth for God, of, about God for a lie. They traded the things that he, the, the things that he created, they traded that for the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen, it says. Verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned in shameful things with other men as a result of the sin, and they suffered with themselves the penalty that they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and he let them do things that should never be done. Therefore, God gave them up, abandoned them to shameful desires. This is an important phrase that Paul continues to repeat in Romans chapter 1 three times exactly in this passage because in his righteous wrath and in his righteous judgment, God gives man up to sin because their evil hearts desired it, allowing them to experience the self-destruction and the result of that sin. You don't know how many times I've spoken to someone and says, if God is real, why do these things happen? I'm like, because sin is real and evil is real. And there comes a point where God has to say, I need to let them go and let them continue to sin and see it for themselves. Guys, this evil battle and fight that we have, it's, it's, it's true and it's all around us. 
But 2 Chronicles 7.14, it reminds us of this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive them for their sin, and I will heal their land. It's an often quoted verse. And that's all we need to do is repent and call men to repentance. Call men to walk away from their sin. Lead them to the goodness of Jesus. That's how we fight our war. Let's keep reading to get out of Romans chapter 1. Verse 29 says, here are these individuals. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. Look what it says about individuals who were given over to sin. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. They don't do anything about it. It's almost a sin of omission. Where you omit, where you don't do anything about it. But you let it go on. And it destroys your life. It destroys people's lives. When we should have taken a stance. Francis Frankenpan says this, and I quote him. He says, I realize that many Christians have not been praying because they've not accepted the reality of war in which we find ourselves. There is a spiritual war mode that we must appropriate. It is an aggressive stance that we take against evil. It is governed by love for people, but it is fearless, uncompromising with the powers of darkness that manipulate people to fulfill evil plans. That's who we are. That's what we're to do. He gave them over, it says in Romans 1, to things that are not fitting. All kinds of things. And they became covetous and envious and they became sinful and it grows not just from envy, but then it grows to murder as Romans 1 continues to unfold. There's a, 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 a quote that I read and I want to share it with you. Uh, and it says this, it says, these days, it's not just that the line between right and wrong has been made unclear. Today, Christians are being asked by our culture to erase the lines and move the fences. And if that were not bad enough, we're being asked to join the celebration cry of those who have thrown off the restraints religion has imposed, imposed upon them. It is not just that they ask that we accept but they now demand of us to celebrate it too. Come on, church, stand. With, don't stand rhetorically, but here it is. But stand united and stand with me to say we will not accept evil in our households, in our church, amongst each other. We will not celebrate in evil no longer. The end is here. World war end that's why I titled it world war end the end to evil starts with us will you rise up against the wicked will you take up a stand against evil as Psalm 94 16 says who will rise up for me against the wicked who will take a stand for me against evil why do we need to do this I'm going to quote some scripture here it is 
Philippians 2.15 says, so that no one, everyone say no one, no one can speak a blame, a word of blame against you. That you are to live clean, innocent lives, children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. So listen, warriors, listen, army, listen, children, sons of God, let your lives shine brightly before them. Let darkness be addicted to your light. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. When we make it against flesh and blood, the enemy smiles and says, I got them. I got them. I'm trying to learn, and it's very hard for me, and it's very hard for some of you, I'm sure, That when someone opposes or someone is an irritant, is that a word? It's a word today, irritant. Just irritates, a nuisance. When someone is just against everything that you stand for, it's hard, but you have to look at them with loving eyes, knowing that it's not them. But it's a battle of evil within them that you're fighting against. Here's the heart of God. So we spoke about the shows of my children. You want to know what I teach my children? I don't teach my children to look down upon, to hate, and to speak evil against a man if he chooses to love a man. Or a woman to love a woman. Because I do believe that the love of God can transform hearts and do miracles. So you teach truth without fear. But as you teach truth, you also teach love and compassion. Because if we're honest as we speak about evil, we all should have died a long time ago. Because starting with me was a corrupted, evil, dark, sinful man who God has shown grace and yet today continues to show grace and compassion for. So as we fight hard against this evil, we do it without fear, with the love of Christ. Why? Because Paul says your fight is not against flesh and blood. So if they're still alive, the addicted drug addict, if they're still alive, there's still hope for them. And our battle is not against them, but our battle is against the evil that's behind, the forces that's behind what's causing them to do what they're doing. That's what we fight. How many of you could say amen? Amen. How's your heart? How do you weigh your heart? Be very careful. Because Paul says it's not against flesh and blood. So what is it against, Paul? It's against, look at this. It's against rulers. It's against authorities. It's against powers of this dark world. Guys, it's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
That's who we are fighting against. So if there's still a human being on this earth that irritates you, it's a nuisance. Oh, know that you're not fighting them. You're fighting the wickedness that has taken a hold on them. So go past them and go deeper, deeper into their soul and come against the enemy. Tito, we should share a testimony today. We should. Because I feel there's people in church that don't believe in this evil. (laughs) Me and Tito one time had a friend who was a drug addict who was struggling with addiction. And this drug addict friend says, I need you to come to my house because I know it's my father. When I'm in my bed, I hear demons and they're mocking me and laughing at me and they're saying things to me through the door and I'm being tormented day and night. And he started to break down what his father was. His father was a big into spiritual wickedness of santeria and brujeria and all these ias. And so me and Tito, we went one day and we went on a Wednesday. We had service that Wednesday night of prayer. And we showed up and it was a little old man, remember? I'm not making this up. Tito's here to say, bro, you're lying. I can't believe you're lying from the church. I'm not lying. And we spoke to him in Spanish. We said, viejo, estamos aquí hoy porque tu hijo está diciendo a nosotros que hay demonio aquí en esta casa. <laughs> and we started talking to this old man, a little old man that's fragile, that you could probably flick him and break him in half. No lie. This is one of many stories that I have. But since Tito's here, I says, I'll, I'll, I'll use one of a witness. And I said, we want to come in and speak to you. So he let us in and we said, what's going on? Who talked to us about you? And we sat him down on a chair and we said, we want to pray for you. And we started to pray for this little old man, little fragile man that we could break him in half with a flick. But we looked past his eyes and recognized that this little old man has something great going on within him. And we start praying for him and this is no lie. And as we start praying for him, from within him starts to come some chance that we can't um, interpret. Demonic chants were coming out of his mouth. Didn't understand them. Sounded kind of dark, kind of scary. I mean, we weren't scared, but it was scary to anyone else, I'm sure. And we looked at each other. We said, stop praying. And I told the man, I looked at him, I said, look at me. And he wouldn't look at me. And just, I go, what's his name? He would tell me, no. And I said, tell me the name of what's inside of you. He said, no. I said, tell me the name. He said, no. I said, now, in Jesus' name, tell me the name of the forces that are inside of you right now. Who am I speaking to? And he gives me his name. It starts with a B. And I said, thank you. And we started praying against that name. Later on, we get in the car to come to church. I start to go on our friend Google. And I write down the exact name that the guy gives me. And what comes up is like in the year 1200 or I don't know what it was. It's this massive figure of this deity that an African a tribe somewhere in Africa, in the continent of Africa, they built this deity. And I'm in one car and Tito's in the truck behind me and I text Tito and I said, Tito, look at the text message I just sent you. And he says, whoa, what is this? I said, that's who we just spoke to in that house. Years, hundreds of years ago, he showed up in Africa to a tribe, and here we are in Little Havana, and we were just casting them out of this guy's house. Guys, 
Why am I saying these things? Not to spook you. Not to scare you. We weren't scared. The power of Christ is in us. The blood of Christ is over us. But it's to remind you that it wasn't about that little old man. It was about what was tormenting that household, that little old man and his son who was addicted to drugs in the room next over. And what it was was, put Romans 6 back up. It was the powers, the rulers, and the wickedness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, that's our world. That's our world. I know. Do you know the struggle I had to preach this today? Because I know that for a fact that there is one person here, at least one, that says, I do not like that kind of message. But it's in the Bible. How can we ignore it? That little man, when we prayed for him, became as strong as an ox. Strong as an ox. And he started to turn into a different body shape. And he started to chant. And we said, stop it, because we weren't going to give him any glory. And we said, what's your name? So we could cast you out by name. It's in the Bible. When the man that was cutting himself, throwing himself into the fire, trying to drown himself... Jesus looks at him and says, what's your name? And they cried out from the man and said, we are many. We're called legion. He says, get away from him, legion. And they fled to pigs. It's all over scripture. So what do we do? We lay hands on people. You know how many denominations of, of faith have stopped the laying hands on? The praying for? That's too Pentecostal. That's too charismatic. Well, you know what? Some people need to be prayed for and laid hands on because what's behind them are demonic forces that are overcoming their lives. We need to speak into their lives. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for deliverance, for healing. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. But I'm going to get now into some really, really good news. Forget all these gods. They are defeated. Revelation chapter 19 and 20. World war end. Let's go to the end of that which has been written for us. And of course, I love chapters 19, if you know me, 20, and my favorite chapter in the book of Revelation. You should all know it by now. I quote it more than any other chapter in Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 19, welcome to the battle of what is called Armageddon. Are you guys happy for this stuff? Here it is, ready? John has been taken into this vision, and now he has seen this great battle, this great war, as we know it as Armageddon, and he says, I saw heaven open in verse 11. And a white horse was standing there. This is so beautiful, guys. Here it is. Here's the end. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly. And he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except for himself. Can you imagine being that godlike? He is so God that he puts a name that only he himself knows how to read it. 
That's how God he is. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. Any of you got plans for this day? All right. Some of you are like, I don't know what's going on. You guys have plans for this day? From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Verse 16, on his robe, at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet that God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. And then I saw the beast and the kings of this world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. How do you guys think it's going to end? And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one that was riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged them, all the dead bodies. After true 1,000-year millennial reign, then we see Satan is now released from a pit now and here's this war, here's the, the beast, and here's the prophet, here's the armies of this world coming to fight against us, against God, and God says no more. World war end. I love what Proverbs says in Proverbs 24. It says, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. The enemy gets thrown after this battle into what is known as a pit, and it's stuck there for a thousand years, and then he's released, and we see it in chapter 20. We see that there is a millennial kingdom here on earth after this time of tribulation and this 1,000 year of millennial reigning with God here on earth. The Lord says it's time for the last battle, the battle of all battles. And Satan is released from this time of 1,000 years in a prison called the pit. And chapter 20 of verse 7 says this, when the thousand years came to an end, Satan is let out of his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. This is what you would know as the war of Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he gathers them for battle. A mighty army, look how big the army is that Satan gathers, as num numberless as sand along the seashore. And then I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city as we would know as Jerusalem. 
But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is a world war end, and God has the final victory. God has the final victory. He wins the battle of Armageddon. He wins the battle of Gog and Magog. And I'm telling you right now, if you're in this room and you've given your life to God, the great battle, he's won the battle of your soul. He won it on the cross. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne. Worship team, maybe you could play something. And there was one that was sitting on it. Here's good news, guys. The earth and sky fled from his presence and they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And all the books began to open. And as the books began to open, look what it says. Including the book of life. And all the dead were judged according to what they've done as recorded in the books. Let's pause for a moment. All mankind, all humanity will stand before the throne room of God. Will stand before this great white throne judgment. It doesn't matter if you live under a bridge or if you live in a palace. The rich, the poor, the mighty, and the small will all have to give an account before the throne of God. And they will all be judged according to what they've done, what they've believed. And it says in verse 13, the sea gave up its dead. The death and grave gave up its dead. And now all that have already died come before the Lord and all are judged according to their deeds. Then death, man, I love verse 14. Highlight this. Write this down in your notes. Revelation 20 verse 14, so important. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. You know why? Because now when we're with, with Jesus, there is no more fear of death. And there is no more fear of the grave. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life is thrown into this lake of fire. Did you just hear what I said? How are your loved ones today? How are those battling with sin today? Those who chose a different lifestyle than you. Those who are addicted. Those who walked out. Those who are filled with anger. Those who are all the things that we've mentioned. Can you look past them and can you look at their soul and the fight and the war that's going on for their soul and know that verse 15 says, whoever's name is not written will also be thrown into the fire. Do you think that you have a a war to fight? I think so. It's for every lost soul whose name is not written in the book of life yet. We still have a great fight to fight, amen? And you may be sitting here and you can say, well, what's the end? 
What's the end? Oh, it's victory. What's the end? I believe it's sooner than later. What's the end? Every day we're getting closer. What's the end? Forgive me for repetition. But I end with this. I end with the end. And forgive me for always reading this passage here on a Sunday. But I will not be ashamed to end with it yet again on another Sunday. The future is very bright. World war end will take place. There will be no more evil. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. World war end takes place. And then he goes to one of the final chapters in your Bible. And this is what he sees. If you know me well, it's one of my favorites. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old earth has disappeared and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne room saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I give freely from the springs. Thank you, Tito, for opening up with that, of water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, and I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the wife of Jesus, the bride And he took me up in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with glory of God and sparkled like precious stone. And I will massacre every single one of these stones. Here it is, ready? Like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates and on these three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 18, for sake of time, it says the wall was made of jasper. The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, second is sapphire, third is a gate, fourth is emerald, fifth onyx, sixth carnelian, seventh crystallite, eighth beryl, ninth topaz, tenth crystal phrase, eleventh jacinth, I think, twelfth amethyst. And the 12 gates were made of pearls, and each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. And I saw no temple in the city. There is no church. There is no structure. There is no place to get to at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. 
You know why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are in the temple. We're constantly in the presence of Yahweh. When time is church, now and later and later and later, it never ends. Church will always be church. The presence of God will continue to reign. There is no need for a temple to hold the presence of God. The tabernacle of God is in need no more. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon. Sorry for all of you guys that love the sun and the moon and the stars. Well, there's no need of it anymore. For the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb, if you haven't caught it yet, His name is Jesus Christ. The Lamb is the light of the city. And the nations will walk in the light of Jesus, in its light. And the kings of this world will enter the city in all their glory. My goodness, I, I, I could preach a whole other message now, but I'm trying to restrain from doing this. But there's, the world continues, but in a whole other way. It's a whole other earth and a whole other Jerusalem. But you see, there's nations, and there's kings, and there's government, and God is ruling, and it's, it's something that you, you're not little babies floating in the sky. On a, it's, it's real. There's kingdoms. There's, there's this kingdom with kings, and I mean, this is crazy. And the nations walk in this, and, and kings enter the city, the new Jerusalem. Verse 25, its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no end of the day. There is no night in the eternal kingdom. When I'm having a good time, and I'm out, and I'm having a blast, and we're just enjoying the day, I just hate when it's time to go home. When it's, ah, I got to leave you. I wish we could do this longer. I wish we could hang out. The presence of the Lord is so addicting. It's so much fun. It's so good that you never want to go home. So what does he do? He gives us a great gift. He says, guess what? You're never going to go home because this is always home. And there's never night. The door never closes. You're always in. We're always parting. We're in the presence of the Lord. Verse 26, and all the nations will bring glory and honor into the city. You know whose city? Our city. The new Jerusalem. I don't know if you don't. Uh, my, it's my city. I'm going. I'm there. And the kings are going to walk in. I'm like, yo, welcome to my crib. Welcome to my city with my king who reigns on that throne, whose light illuminates all of this. No more war. No more pain. No more sin. I don't have to worry about saying, Jackson, turn that television off. That's a bad scene. I don't have to worry about saying, Jay, don't go over there. That's a bad person. Oh, all of eternity is good. Good forever and ever and ever. And I reign in his presence. There is no more evil. World war end and eternal kingdom welcome. It's forever. It's forever. Forever. And the nations come and bring glory and honor into our city. Say, my city. Say it. I wish you would get it. I wish you would get it. Can we go to verse 27? And nothing evil 
will be allowed to enter. You don't even have to try. You don't have to put codes on your phone. You don't have to block channels on your television set. You don't have to not go to that person's house. You don't have to. It's a world like never before. World war ends. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry. None of that. Will be allowed to enter. Dishonesty, none of that will be able to enter. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Can't wait. Can't wait. That's the world we belong to. And that's the world we need to continue to be reminded of. Lord, you know this room in detail. For you know your sons and daughters. Forgive me for going a little late, guys, but come before you, God. And I thank you. I thank you because you know every single one of us. And if there's any thing in our lives that is distracting, tormenting, sin that is conquering and overcoming, I pray today that the war of that sin, the war of whatever that is would be an end today. And that that today we would receive the promises of Revelation 21 in our hearts. I repent of all my sins. Wash me clean. Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you for a moment as we close up to truly examine your walk and your heart with, before God. And as you do that, listen to these words in the Old Testament. Elisha the prophet was being attacked by some enemies. The king found out that there was a prophet and the prophet knew what was going on and he was able to tell the king's strategies before he ever did them. So the king gets upset and he sends his great army to go and arrest him. So he sends all his chariots and all his horses and all his great men to surround the city where Elisha's at. And Elisha had a a friend with him, a partner with him. He's known as a servant of the man of God. It says he got up early in the morning and he went outside. And when he went outside, he saw the king's army all around the city. And he knew on that moment, we're dead. My master, my prophet, my friend, Elisha, is dead and I'm dead. 
he runs back into the house and he says, Elisha, what will we do now? They're around, surrounding us. They're going to kill us. And Elisha, in 2 Kings chapter 6, tells this man, he says, don't be afraid. Mind you, in the house, in this conversation so far, there's just Elisha and this one man. (laughs) And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Look what he says. For there are more on our side than on theirs. You could almost picture that man saying, you're crazy. I just opened the door. There are thousands of them. And there's only two of us. But then Elisha prayed. And this is what Elisha prayed. He said, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when the young man looked up, listen to this church. He saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. To tie this into last week, whatever war, whatever hardship, whatever thing rises up against you, the Lord reminds you as he reminds this young servant of Elisha and he opens up his eyes And he says, you see, more is for you, church, than than those that are in this world. Greater is he in you than the evil that's in this world. So, Lord, I pray that we would open up our eyes, up to the armies of God, that you remind us that you fight our battles, that there is victory because we have victory in you. Let us fight the good fight. Let us finish the race. Let us end well so that one day we could celebrate hard and celebrate well in eternity with you. I thank you for every person in this room. You know, every detail in their lives. Strengthen them to their core. Transform them. If they need to be delivered, deliver them. Heal them. Restore them. Forgive them. Transform them. And let them live sanctified, holy, and righteous all the days of their life. Lord, we thank you for this day that we're living in. For we are the army of God. We thank you because we know the end is near and the end is victory in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And together we say, amen. Can you give God praise? Worthy. Can you do me a favor? Can you hug someone and just love them for a moment today? Maybe someone needs prayer. Maybe you need to pray for someone today here. But know that this is an army and we are in a war and we have victory because Christ is with us. Amen. Go with that power. Go in that might. Go in that strength and go with those promises in your heart. World War ends. It ends. We have victory in Jesus. Have an amazing, blessed, powerful Sunday. God bless you.